What a joy and a privilege to be a child of the King, the King of kings, our God, the King of the universe, to be His. Thank you. Thank you for that ministry and song on the piano, sending light forth, sending forth the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who is the light of the world. We need to keep on keeping on in that. So much appreciated also the songs today. I need Jesus. Amen. I need Jesus, for I'm only a sinner saved by grace. And I continue on trusting and obeying in what a glorious God we can trust and hope. How many of you are looking forward to spring? Oh, yes, I am. How many of you wandered around yet and have started to see the daffodils poking up? Mm, does that make you excited? It does me. And then I woke up this morning, and it was like, oh, so beautiful. But where are the daffodils? <laughs> I was just admiring them yesterday, and I didn't bother to look at the forecast. I didn't even realize it was going to snow last night. I don't even know if it was forecasted. I don't know. Um, I was just glorying in the beautiful day yesterday and, and the, the prospect of spring. And then I woke up this morning, I was confused. Um, I thought spring was here yesterday as I was admiring the daffodils poking up. But at springtime, we're often reminded of a particular theme in the Christian life. And as we see the daffodils popping up, and they're out there under that snow, and there's a lot of other things that are under that snow and in that soil, and you know what they're doing? They're growing. There's lots of things out there still, even under the snow, growing. In fact, you know tulips, they got to have the snow to grow. they got to have the snow to grow. They're growing. Well, I had a question. In the wintry cold, are you growing? I have this little personal problem that some people call cabin fever. Um, I love daylight savings. I just hate standard time. Any of you like that? I don't like the change. I like the sunshine. I, I, winter seems to drag long for me. Um, I, I have to deal with it every year, it seems like. So when daylight savings come, I just wish it would stay like daylight savings all year round. I don't know why I'm like that, but I am. It doesn't change anything, I know. It's just up here. Um, but in all of the... <sighs> stillness, frozenness of winter. Do we have those in our spiritual lives? And in those cold winters of times that we may find ourselves in the seasons of life, are we growing? Are we growing? Are we growing? A lot of people put significance on people's last words. You ever heard of that? Have you ever considered the last words recorded of the Apostle Peter? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'd like for us to look at the last words of Peter where he gives us some really good advice. It's not just Peter's words, though. These are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. 
and they are so real and vital and important for us, whether it's in the wintertime or the springtime or the summertime or the time of harvest. It's a beautiful, beautiful admonition and benediction that we all need to live by. Look with me at the last verse of 2 Peter. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter leaves us with these last words. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice the first word, but. Oh, you're going to hear it again from me. That means the whole rest of the book plays into that little last verse. In fact, may I suggest to you, not just the whole rest of 2 Peter, but the whole rest of 1 Peter all tie in to this climax. This climax. 2 Peter, the main primary theme of 2 Peter is to exalt the authority of God's Word and to warn against false teachers. That's the whole theme of 2 Peter, is to exalt the authority of God's Word and to warn against false teachers. In fact, if we look at verse 18, let's just look just before at verse 17 as to why the but is there in summary. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Peter warns that there are false teachers and there are problems. This will arise in the last days, Peter warns. False teachers will arise. There's a lot of trouble that will come from them. Oh, and by the way, they'll be judged. In fact, the entire earth will be judged for Jesus is coming again and he's coming again in judgment and this earth and this heaven will be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know these things now afore. You know these things before, so beware, be alert, be aware, beware lest ye also be led away of the false teachers earlier discussed in the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. We have a steadfastness that needs to be in the sure word of prophecy. What do I use that phrase? The word of God. Because if we look back here in 2 Peter, Peter declares in chapter 1 and verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Yes, we have a steadfastness in a sure word of prophecy. This should be our steadfastness, lest, and we beware, lest we be led astray, led away by the heir of the wicked. So we're alert. But what's the opposite? You know, you might meet some people sometimes. I've been guilty of this sometimes. 
so focused on being aware of the false doctrine, we miss the last verse. They got to go together. Be aware of the false doctrine that leads many astray, the error of the wicked that causes us to fall from our own steadfastness. And while we are doing that, look with me again at the last verse. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is grace? In a very simple word, if I were to be forced to give a one-word definition, which is really hard, you know what word I would use? Jesus. Now, there's a lot more there, but if I had to bring it down to one word, what word would I use? That word is Jesus. Why? Because it tells us in John chapter 1 that when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. That's what it describes him at the beginning of John. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. One of the mysteries of the magnificence of the God-man that, that I, I grapple with and have for years, and I don't believe I will ever resolve it in my mind because I'm infinite. I'm not infinite. I'm finite. And that is that he is full of grace and truth, and then it tells us that he grew in grace. <laughs> how, how does the one who is grace, who is full of grace and truth, grow in grace? says that of him when he was a child. You know what it does, says to me? Why, if he increased in favor, if he grew in grace, so shall I. It is the loving kindness of God. It is his favor that he pours out and he gives to us. It is his strength. It is really, it is really all of the fullness of God that is made available to us. We speak of the king's favor. We have God's favor, his grace, where he gives everything that is of himself and is available and made available to us as his children. And we can have that, and we can grow in that. It's amazing. We're going to come back to the idea of growing in grace, but let's look at the second part of what we to grow in. We grow in grace and we grow in knowledge. Knowledge of who? Here it says, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In all the seasons of life and in every part of our day, are we growing in our knowledge of Jesus? Now let me make a distinction here about knowledge. There's two different kinds of knowledge. Many of you know President Biden, right? <laughs> we all know of President Biden, and we have all of these details about him, but none of us, at least as far as I'm aware, know President Biden. We don't know him even as an acquaintance. We don't know him as a friend. We don't know him even as a personal enemy, if you want to go there. We don't know him 
as a father. We don't know him as a husband. We don't know him as a son. We know him, but we don't know him. Do you see that? The same is true about God, and the same is true about Jesus. We know him. Sometimes our knowledge of him is skewed and has been perverted because of culture, society, and even false teachings. We know him in the sense of theology and the study of him, but do we also know him? Do we know the Lord Jesus, not just as the historical figure who lived 2,000 years ago, but do we know him as my Savior? Do we know him as being joint heirs with him? Do we know him as our good shepherd, and do we follow him as our good shepherd? Do we know him personally? You know, we need to know him in all ways. We need to know about him, and we need to know him, and we need to know him personally. And we need to never come to this idea that we've somehow systematized Christ into some course of theology that we think we know him. No, even if you take a thousand courses on, the, on Christology, it's different than knowing him. And I am convinced that even when we see him face to face, it says that we will, we will see him as he is and we will know him. And we will begin to continue still, I think, for eternity, growing in our knowledge of him. Are we growing in knowing him in a relationship? Think about it in the aspect of the plant and the dirt. Does the plant know the dirt? Yeah. I know they do grow plants. You could see them in the store, these really cool glass jars where there's this beautiful tulip growing and all you see is the bulbs kind of dangling in water. I'm not quite sure how they do that. It's kind of cool though. But the plant knows the dirt. Now, not, they don't have brains, but they know it because they experience the nutrients and they draw from the nutrients of that. The same is true for us. When we are growing, we are growing by, you might say, the nutrients of the grace of God and the nutrients of the person of Jesus. We grow in him. Are we planted and are we growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we know him? I think of Peter. You know, Peter had a lot of awesome experiences. Oh, he got called as a fisherman. Jesus says to him, come, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. That means go teach people about who I am and tell them to follow Jesus. Peter got to have experiences of seeing Jesus miraculously know where the fish were. And not just know, I think he kind of schooled them together. He got to see the miraculous power of Jesus. He got to see Jesus raise people from the dead. He got to see Jesus one day, sleeping on a boat in the middle of a storm, 
Here, Jesus sleeping. Peter and the other disciples terrified on this ship, afraid for their lives that they're going to die. And, and, they, and Peter got to see Jesus in perfect peace, sleeping. And they cry out, don't you care about us? We're going to die. What did Jesus do? He rises up. He says two, three words in English. Peace be still. And the wind and the waves instantly obey him. Everything is still. Boy, I wish I were with Peter that day and got to see that happen. You know, it wasn't the only time you saw something like that happen. There was another time when Jesus wasn't with them. Jesus sent them across the Sea of Galilee while he withdrew himself to pray from the people. And then the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee and another storm brew up. And again, their lives were in danger and they're terrified. And this time, Jesus isn't with them sleeping. This time, when they see Jesus, he's walking on the water. Boy, I wish I was there and I could have seen that. How exciting would that have been to see Jesus walking on water? And then Peter, I mean, he's, wow. He says, can I come out? And Jesus calls him. And Peter gets to walk on water. Till he gets afraid and looks away from Jesus and begins afraid of the storm. And he, he's sunk like a rock, like a Peter. And Jesus pulled him up, rescued him. They came into that ship. And as soon as they come into that ship, it, Jesus didn't even say anything this time. But the whole storm just vanished. And the Sea of Galilee was as smooth as glass. Wow. You see the experiences that Peter had? But I'm not done. Did you know that there was a time when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up into a high mountain? And the Bible tells us that right before their very eyes, he was transfixed before them. He was transformed and showed to them in magnificent glory as the eternal Son of God. He got to see Jesus in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Wow, Peter was privileged. You know, Peter knew he was privileged. And he knew all of us would know he was privileged. And he anticipated that some of us would think and say, why, Peter, it's easy for you to say to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. I mean, look, you got to see his actual creative power in play as he held authority over his creation. You got to see Jesus in his great glory transfixed before you. Of course, Peter, it's easy for you to say this. You got to see all these wonderful, amazing, incredible things about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of you know where I'm going. Kind of know where I'm going? Turn back to 1 Peter. And let's look again. I'm sorry, not 1 Peter, 2 Peter, but the first chapter of 2 Peter. Because Peter talks about this particular experience. So he had all these experiences, walking on water, seeing Jesus do amazing things, miracles, heal people. 
raised people from the dead. He sees all of this, and the greatest of them all is he sees Jesus in his majesty and his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, it's hard to know where to start here, but we'll, 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 we'll start here in verse 15. He says, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decrease, to have these things always in remembrance. What's he talking about? Peter knows he's about to die. He's not going to be with them. And so he's going to anticipate some people who are going to have struggles with that, and he wants them to keep some things in remembrance, especially because there's going to be false teachers that are going to rise. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. And when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He's reminding them and telling them of the time in which he saw Jesus in his glory and majesty, and he, they heard the voice of God bearing witness as to who Jesus was. Now, some of you might be thinking, why, there, look, we have the testimony of Peter in declaring this, how privileged and special Peter was. Pause. Stop. Everything I've been talking about how special Peter was, forget it. I'm wrong. You think, you're, some of you are looking at me weird. You're like, he was special. Yes, I know. But didn't do him any spiritual good compared to what you've got. He had nothing special that made it possible for him to have some extra advantage in spirituality than you or I have. The whole point he's telling the story of this experience is continued in the next verse. Yes, he did get to see the majesty and glory of Jesus. He did get to hear the voice of God declare Jesus to be the Son of God. But look at verse 19. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that there is no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What Peter is basically declaring to you is, don't think me somehow special because I got to see Jesus in his majesty and glory. 
and heard the voice of God proclaiming him to be who he was. He's declaring to the dispersed people he's writing to, which by extension includes us, that we have a more sure word of prophecy because we have the very word of God which declares and testifies the same to us of who Jesus was. And so when he concludes his chapter saying, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we grow by having an intimacy with Jesus, with his grace, through his spirit and his word. This is how we grow. We grow by knowing him through his word and the leading of his spirit. We know him by the experience day by day of his grace. For Jesus is full of grace and truth. I love the song we sang. I need Jesus. Just like the plant needs the nutrients from the soil and the sunshine and the rain. And some need the snow. You and I need Jesus. I need Jesus to grow. I need Jesus. I need to be planted in him. I need to be rooted in him. I need to grow in Jesus. And day by day, we as those who are planted in him need to spend time learning more about him. Yes, indeed, intellectually, but beyond intellectually by experience in a personal relationship with him. If we're not, we're not growing. We need to learn more about his grace, and we need to experience more of his grace. We need to be taught by his grace so that we can grow in grace. Are we growing? We need Jesus. Well, how do we grow in grace? I said we'd come back to that. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me over to the classic scripture relating to God's grace intersecting with man? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 declares to us of God's grace in the past, personally experienced in salvation, personally experienced throughout our entire lives, and a description of it in glory, or may I say, the ages to come. Ephesians chapter 2 is classic in this. It gives us the very basis of how we can grow in grace. For it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 that in the ages to come, God the Father wants to show to us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Remember the one who came and was full of grace and truth. Also in John, John chapter 1, it declares that we are those who have received this grace from grace. It's this grace. It is Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So here we have seen in verse 7 
the grace of God future that in the ages to come he will show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. And we have seen his grace for those of us who have believed, for those of us who have been saved in saving us. For it's by grace that we are saved through faith that is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. One of the glories of Scripture is how they are tied together. Can you flip back to the last words of Peter? He speaks of growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And do you see the benediction? To whom, him, Jesus Christ, be glory both now and forever. Amen. So that in the ages to come, God's going to show to us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us to the glory of Christ. He saves us by grace through faith, not of works. We have nothing to boast, nothing to glory in, that in the ages to come and now, you see here, to him Jesus be glory both now and forever. Amen. His grace is bringing glory to him in our salvation. But God's grace is not limited just to saving us. For it tells us as we continue in Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We walk in good works. Do you know how? by being in Jesus, being a new creature, a workman created in Christ Jesus. And as we are planted in him, we grow and bring forth fruit. As we are workmen created in Christ Jesus, we do good works. Do you see the parallel? We need Jesus. We need him. Are we planted in him? It's the only way to bring forth fruit. There is another glorious passage relating to the grace of God, and it's over in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 speaks of the grace of God. It's another classic um, dissertation of the grace of God, both in, again, in our salvation and in our daily lives. Here it is declared, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. It is only by the grace of God that you and I can receive salvation, that is, be saved from our sins. It is only by the grace of God, and here it declares that to us, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Nobody can ever say, well, I was the seed that was underneath the rock and never saw the sunshine of God's grace. God's grace is like the sunshine raining down over all. It is there. It is there. It's available to appear to all men. It's what brings salvation. It's the only way for us to be saved. Again, to the glory of God. But his grace doesn't just stop there in saving us. It doesn't stop in planting us, to use the plant illustration, in Jesus. His grace continues to nurture us, to discipline us, 
to teach us to grow in grace. For that's what it says as it continues here in Titus 2, verse 12, that it's the grace of God that brings salvation, hath appeared to all men, and it's also the grace of God teaching us. This word teaching is the idea of a disciplining, like a parent nurtures and disciplines a child. It's a teaching us. And what does this grace teach us? It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, to deny those things, those things that are not according to God's way, that are not God's desire for us. We deny those desires and the lusts that this world draws us to and pulls us to. We are able to deny those. And if you find it hard to deny those worldly lusts and pleasures, It's because you're not growing in grace. And I don't say that to be condemning of you. I say it to say to you, you need Jesus. You need Jesus in those times when you are being pulled by worldly lusts. I need Jesus. We need Jesus when we are being pulled by worldly lusts. We need to deny, and we are taught by God's grace to deny. When we grow, That denying is so, I don't want to say easier because it is always easy from the beginning. It is where there is a sense of experience where it grows in that, where we become more natural and habitual in glorying in the grace of God to deny the worldly lusts. It's it's an experience that we are built upon. Just like a child doesn't always know how to do things, and they're taught, and they're disciplined, and they're corrected. So the grace is the same way for us. But it doesn't only just teach us to deny things, to refuse things, to stop doing sin. You know, so often, um, I've been convicted of this recently because I've used the child definition of sin, and I've realized I've missed a very important part of sin. We use a child definition of sin as anything that I think, say, or do that breaks God's law or makes God sad. Oftentimes, we think of that as doing things wrong. And that is the basic definition. But to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's not just doing bad things that are sin. It's not doing also the things that God wants us to do. That too is sin, which is in that definition because when we don't do what's right, it makes God sad too. See, we deny worldly ungodliness and worldly lusts, but it teaches us it's the grace of God. And as we're growing in the grace of God, it's going to teach us that we should live soberly, that is with understanding, having an understanding of what we are doing, what we are thinking, and why we are doing and thinking, why we are here and the purposes of life, why we need to obey and why this is wrong and why this is not. Soberly and righteously, that is doing what is right before God. And godly, that is doing what pleases God. And this is not some pie-in-the-sky notion, it says in this present world. It's a teaching right now. It's a growing in this present world. Whether there's snow on the ground or the sunshine, all times, we live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. That grace is going to cause us to look for Jesus, to come back, 
That grace is going to remind us to look back to what Jesus did for us when he gave himself for us. That's in verse 14. And as we look forward and as we look back, we're going to be a peculiar people who it says here are zealous of good works. That means on fire for doing good. Doing good. So are you this morning planted in Jesus? And are you growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I declare to you, I need Jesus. So do you. We all need Jesus. As the song said, will you confess it? I confess it, the song declares. That's admit it. That is agree with Jesus that I need him. For Jesus said that without me, he can do nothing. And do you know where that occurs? When Jesus is talking about the fact that he is the vine and we are the branches. There is a different analogy, but it's still the same growing. Growing and bringing forth is only as we grow in the grace of God. All that comes with it in Jesus, of knowing him and experiencing him, growing in his grace. Here's a simple question for you. Does your life, do your days bring glory to Jesus now and forevermore? If you are planted in him and if you are growing in him, if you are abiding in Jesus, experiencing his life, his power, his goodness, his righteousness, remember, he's the creator of all. He's the savior of all. When you're experiencing him and abiding in him and he and his word abiding in you, you will bring forth much fruit and in John 15, where Jesus spoke of himself as the vine, he says that that fruit is glory to his Father. Is our life bringing glory to our heavenly Father and to the one who loved us and gave himself for us, the one who is full of grace and truth, the one who we receive that grace Let's live in this grace and let's grow in this grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I bring you back to, to two parts of it. We have a more sure word of prophecy to get to know Jesus. Let's rejoice in it. Peter spoke from experience and he knew what we needed. He identified it for us. Let's not neglect the treasure that we hold in our hands, but let it not be just a knowledge of intellectual of who Jesus is and what the Bible's about, but let it be a relationship with Jesus, a knowing him as first our God, then our Savior, then our Good Shepherd, then our friend. And you know what? After a while, they all blur together as all together. Do we know him personally? 
and do we grow in them? Let's grow. Let's grow. And as we see the little plants sprouting up this week, because this will all be gone tomorrow, see it all sprouting up, let's ask ourselves, am I growing in grace? Like that plant is growing in the dirt. There's a big difference between dirt and grace, isn't there? Do we grow in grace? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We confess we need you, Jesus. We need you every hour, every day, all through life. We need you. I pray that you would help each one here today, myself included, to abide in you, to receive your grace day by day, to seek to know you through your word, through the leading of your spirit. We need you. Lord, we are distracted by many things. We are pulled by many things. Would you teach us, would you discipline us through your grace to deny ungodliness all that displeases you and the worldly lusts, those passions and desires that are of this world, not of you and not of eternity. Teach us, discipline us through your grace. May we not fail your grace, but walk in it. And may your grace be upon us. May we seek to know you more through your word to know more about you. And as we trust and obey you, to know you more personally. Glorify yourself, Heavenly Father, through us, and may the glory and honor be to Jesus Christ, both now, today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, till you come. May you receive the glory forevermore. You alone are worthy of it, and we praise you this day as we bow before you. We love you because you first loved us, and we thank you for your amazing grace.